test. Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. Good morning, good morning. Yes, and uh, this, today we're going to be dealing with miscellany, the good miscellany. Mixed bag. Uh, we're going to have two uh, wonderful cookbooks and a delicious sweet treat. And who's who's starting off? Who's, le- who's leading off today? We're going to start off with a, a real pro, Elizabeth Carmel, uh, who wrote a book, a cookbook with a curious title, but she's going to explain it. It's called Steak and Cake. Elizabeth Carmel is um, oh, a cooking teacher, a um, cookbook writer, other writer. She's a master at the grill. Uh, which is uh, distinctive in itself. Um, this is most of the masters of the grill are of the masculine variety. And she and she answers to Elizabeth the Third. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but um, she's from the South, from North Carolina, and so there's that kind of sensibility in it. Um, but her book is people have walked past it where I keep the books viewing in the hall, and said, well, what a funny name that is, Steak and Cake. Well, you know what? Um, to me, it was it was never a funny name or a quirky book, but I've come to understand that it is a little bit quirky. To me, this book grew out of a class that I taught at the Institute of Culinary Education, and I, I taught it on Saturday night, and when I was coming up with the class curriculum, I thought to myself, what can I teach that is going to be a great Saturday night experience and also give people tips and tricks to take home that they'll use over and over again? And I thought to myself, well, you know, steak and cake is everybody's favorite Saturday night meal. It's all about celebration. And I thought, I'm going to do a class on steak and cake. And from the day that, you know, it, um, you know, it was first announced that my first class was going to be there was a long waiting list. It sold out literally in minutes, <laughs> and um, it was probably the most gratifying class that I've ever taught. And I'll I'll tell you why, is because um, I would it was a hands on class, and I would gather everybody around the table before we started, and I would ask them to tell me why they took the class. And number one, I'm very curious, naturally curious. So I wanted to know why they chose that, because there were 50 other classes they could have chosen. And two, I wanted to make sure that if they had any specific questions, that I answered them so that they would go home not just having a great time, but armed with, you know, the answers to all their questions. And I found out two really important things. Number one, most people had never made a steak or baked a cake, and they didn't... (laughs) That's the truth. And they didn't even know how to buy a steak. So, um, so anyway, I mean, obviously in the, you know, over the course of four hours, um, the, the four teams made, you know, a number of recipes, a number of steaks, a number of cakes. We all sat down and ate the meal together. And it was so gratifying to me because I could watch their body language change during the class. They were, you know, unsure of themselves when they first got there. They were kind of timid. They didn't really want to tell me how scared they were. And then after they saw that they could bake a cake and they could make a steak and it tasted every bit as good as their favorite restaurant, they literally were walking out of the class taller 
and sending me pictures of the cakes they were making and the steaks that they were um, also making. And I said to myself, you know what? I have to turn this into a book. Uh-huh. That was your aha moment. And lo and behold, here it. It, and and lo and behold, here it is. Huh? Well, one and of the most important parts of your book, actually, is at the very end when you do the steak primer and, and the cake ba- uh, basics. Right. Well, that was very important to me because I learned, you know, in every one of those classes when I went around the room and asked people, you know, uh, what their questions were, that they didn't even know where to start. And so it was important to me not only to have delicious recipes, but lots of books have delicious recipes, but also to really teach people the fundamentals of um, steak from literally how to buy a steak, what what steak is available um, to, you know, and, and the same with, with cakes. And the steak grid that you're talking about, as far as I know, does not exist. Nobody has done that before. But and I started out with a good friend of mine in New York, Pat Lafreda, and we know. I think we've interviewed Pat. I'm, I'm sure you have. He is yeah. he is the nicest guy, and yeah. he's sort of a butcher. You know, the yeah, most right. amazing butcher. And I spent a week with him at his uh, facility with a grill. And the original idea was that we were going to come up with tasting notes, just like you do with wine, so that people would know what kind of steak they like. And as we, you know, we're going through all of the steaks that I that I grilled, and um, we tasted, uh, we both realized that you know we don't have the vocabulary for a tasting, um, for tasting notes for steak. So what I did instead is I have a photograph of every steak and what it looks like in its raw form yeah, at the grocery store or the butcher, and then I I let you know if it has a nickname. Uh, what what muscle group it comes from, what the flavor intensity is. Now, that was my substitute for tasting notes because people really understand anything from delicate to strong. And so I numbered I numbered those and, um, and then also gave you an idea about what the texture is because if you think about the texture, for example, of a hanger steak versus a filet mignon, right? So the hanger steak has a much shaggier, rougher texture, and the filet mignon has a much, you know, finer um, texture to it, and that also correlates with the flavor. There's a much more beefy flavor in the hanger steak than there is in the filet mignon. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not really crazy about filet mignon, but you, you do tricks with it. <laughs> you wrap it for sure. I do do tricks. <laughs> I'm all about the tricks. <laughs> uh, some of these steak names were funny. Like I looked at Sierra and I thought, what in the world is that? And <laughs> he said it's minute steak <laughs> or pepper steak. Right, exactly. And yeah. now it's called a Sierra steak. Yeah, I didn't know because that. The beef industry is just like every industry. They, you know, yeah. they thought that minute steak was a little bit old-fashioned. You know, they gave it a, a new name, um, like Sierra steak. And and the same thing. My my favorite steak to cook for um, a dinner party is a tomahawk because it's so dramatic. It and really is. But I mean, how many of them do you have to make? I mean, it's uh, you only have that small portion of meat there. Well, that's the big secret. So I can cook one tomahawk and serve six to ten people. 
Come on, so, Elizabeth. <laughs> oh yes, of course I can. Of How course many I can. I mean, it there? weighs it weighs about three pounds. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, it's two and a half to three pounds. So think of it as a mini roast. And in this country, we think that every single person at a party has to have their own steak. Oh, but no, actually, yeah. steak can be very economical because. You know, you you can cook one or two steaks and slice it and put the slices on a platter and, um, you know, and serve that uh, in a way. Peter does that, yeah, when we have company. Yeah, well, when, when we have steak, just the two of us. Yeah, you do it too. I, I, buy, I, buy one, I buy one steak and I slice it at the table. Right. And, 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 and you know what? And there's plenty the left other, over for the next day. Right. And the other thing that's so great about that is that, you know, if you if you cook it a normal way, um, like on a grill or in a pan or you know under the broiler in an in an oven, then um, the the end pieces are done more than the middle piece. So right. if somebody likes their steak more well done, they can eat the end pieces, and the person who likes it, you know, yeah. less well done can eat the middle. So well, I love that. That's standard for every party. There's always going to be somebody who wants it. Rare, and somebody wants it well done, you know, or somebody wants right. it medium. Yeah, I know. Now there's an right. now, now there's an interesting dilemma going on. I, I've heard a number of barbecue aficionados and you know, really top barbecue chefs arguing over whether whether or not you should do sear first and then bake in the oven to finish, or whether you should go the other way around. Right. Well, that's called the reverse sear. If right. you um, if you cook it the other way around, right? So you cook it by indirect heat first and then sear it at the end? Yeah. I, 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 I still don't do that, but I just wondered where you came down but on that issue. Well, well, I'll tell you. I, I'm, I'm, I have never been one for convention. Okay. And I'm going to go so far as to say the only reverse sear that I believe in is actually sous-viding my meat, which means that I cook it in a bag, like uh, like a, a vacuum-sealed bag sure, uh, sure. in warm, you know, in warm water. Uh, and I like to do that with a tomahawk or I like to do that with a tenderloin. Um, and I do it the day before I'm going to serve it. Oh, that's and then yeah. I chill it in the refrigerator overnight. And, and then I, so I don't season it at all before I sous-vide it. I let it. I let it cook exactly like how it comes from the butcher. And then um, after I chill it overnight, I, I, you know, open up the bag. I wrap it in paper towels to remove all surface moisture, and this is very, very key um, to uh, even if even if you haven't sous vide it. If you're if you have a raw steak, you always want to make sure that all the surface moisture is um, is removed, and then you want to oil the steak, and that keeps the juices. Um, inside the steak otherwise they'll evaporate out just like dehydration and then i put a little seasoning on it and i sear it over a high heat and that to me is the perfect reverse sear because what happens in my experience and you can go and look on you know the internet and you can see multiple um videos of this but what happens when you cook it first by the indirect method um, and then you sear it is that you don't get a very good sear on the on the That's meat wet, because yeah, yeah it, well it's it's wet but yeah. also it's already been cooked mm-hmm. the outside you know the outside doesn't have a beautiful sear on it but the meat itself 
is already cooked. And um, so if I'm going to do it traditionally with a raw steak, I dry it, brush it with oil, season it with, um, at the very minimum, salt, and then I sear it over high heat, and then I finish cooking over indirect heat. So that is sort of my classic um, method, combo method. Um, otherwise, I, uh, I sous vide it and then sear it the next day. And that's yeah, we, my we finally have a sous vide. We have a, a manufacturer sent us this multi-cooker that we haven't been able to figure out yet. It, it has, um, you know, the pressure cooker, the rice cooker, the slow cooker, the uh, yogurt maker, uh, whatever it is, and, and also a sous vide. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Who makes that? Fissler. Oh, this, oh okay. Fissler. Okay. Well, you know, they're yeah. known for their, um, um, their um, what do you call them? Their pressure cookers. Pressure cookers. Right, right, right. No. right. I have one of their old-fashioned stovetop pressure cookers. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> How old is that? Oh, it's not very old. It's probably six years old. Oh, they still make them, actually. Yeah. 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 They. I mean, I probably got it the, maybe the year before Instant Pot came out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, Instant Pot just put a better name on a pressure cooker, right? Yes, exactly. And um, if I get one anyway, more book about with the Instant Pot, I think I'm going to scream. Have you seen Cat uh, Kinsman's video series about her. Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, it's hilarious. She's brilliant. She is brilliant. She's having a rough time. I just read it on social media today. So, uh, but no, I mean, I just, I, I just howl at that series. It's so funny and it's so her. <laughs> it is so her. It's so, it's so great. It's so great. Yeah, it is great. But, um, I mean, I, I sort of have the same re- reaction to the instant pot to tell you the truth. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm, I swear I'm going to learn to use it. but <laughs> it's, You know what? If you think about it as a pressure cooker, yeah, I know. it's super simple to use. I, I don't have an Instant Pot, but I have another pressure cooker. And um, I do actually, I make okra gumbo in it all the time. Okay. So I love it. I love the way that it makes something like okra gumbo or Brunswick stew. Well, you know, I like... I like sous vide some things, and I mean some of the um, the beef cut sous vide are just fabulous. Yes, yes. So, I mean, but I'm just not practiced at it, you know. Right. So you know what I wanted to say about the tomahawk that I didn't get a chance to when we were talking yeah, about the cuts of meat is, you know, people see a tomahawk and they don't really understand it, and um, it intimidates them, but if you think about it, the tomahawk is just a bone-in ribeye. So the cowboy steak, the tomahawk, the boneless ribeye, they're all the same piece of meat, mm-hmm. and everybody knows a ribeye, right? Yes. And nobody's afraid of a ribeye. And um, they just, it's, you know, it's three, three different, you know, three to four different cuts based on the size of the bone. Basically, it's like you're Frenching it, like you're Frenching... Lamb, 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 lamb chops. Right, right, right. Exactly, and the que- exactly. And the que- like, uh, question is, how much How much do you French and how much do you just leave on there because you like the fatty bits? <laughs> see, see, I, right. I, I, I like the fatty bits, so my, my recent favorite method is to, using the hottest burner on my on my stove and a black cast, 
I set the steak on the fatty side and render out the fat. Mm. And and then I use that in the rest of the cooking. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that, you know what? I have to tell you, he also is... Uh, he weighs the same as he did in uh, high school. <laughs> well, the, the good thing about the good thing about, about it, the good thing about that's it, that's not fair. When, <laughs> I know. When, when I cook it that way, my wife says she really likes it. So, <laughs> so, so I keep well, so I keep on doing it. You know what? Well, that's that's very that's a good husband. That's a good husband. And well, I have a recipe. I basically think that there are three ways to cook a steak, and one is the grill, the outdoor grill, of course. The other one is um, a cast iron pan, and my favorite way to do it is what I call my red-hot cast iron skillet method, which is probably what you're doing. But I preheat a dry cast iron skillet for five minutes Mm -hmm. until it is red-hot, and I I don't – this is the only time I don't put salt or oil or anything on the steak. I just make sure it's dry, and then I actually sprinkle salt into the pan and then put that raw steak in – and so the salt that's in the pan ends up seasoning um, the steak. But it instantly starts to render out the fat, and it gives you the most gorgeous crust right, you have right. ever, ever, ever seen. And it does make things a little smoky. Yeah, yep, um, it does that. Who cares? Who cares? It's, it's worth it, right? Yep. Well, yes, as long as, long as you're going to have cake afterwards anyway. Exactly, exactly. We, well, we, got, we got to... We got to 17 minutes. We didn't even talk about cake yet. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk about cake. Okay, let's talk about your mother's freshly grated coconut cake. Oh gosh, that was my favorite favorite cake growing up, and it. And I have to tell you, the first time I ever made it for myself, um, I was living in Chicago, and I was taking it to uh, a friend of mine's Easter uh, celebration. And they asked me if I would make it because they were from the Midwest, and Midwesterners uh, most often make coconut cake with, you know, sweetened dried coconut. And so they wanted to see what a, you know, fresh grated coconut cake would taste like. And so I went to the store and I bought fresh coconut, and I, you know, oh, that's a lot. I cracked the coconut. Yes, yes, I was all the time. I was about in tears, and I called my mother, and I was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe you've done this so many times. And and so after that, I put my newfangled twist on it, which meant I went to, a, you know, a Thai or a Vietnamese grocery store, and in the frozen section, they have fresh grated coconut that they freeze for many of their dishes. Unsweetened, yes. Unsweetened. It's completely still yeah. fresh, and you just thaw it out. And drain it on paper towels, and there you have the most beautiful, snowy white, delicate, you know, fresh grated coconut. So that's that's my trick, so that you don't have to crack the coconut yourself. Oh, I remember doing that, that cracking the coconut. I must have been nuts. <laughs> I guess I was young and, and uh, aggressively um, gourmet. I don't know. Kind of, kind of. Goes along with the song. I, I if I had a hammer, <laughs> I'd, I'd hammer that bloody coconut in the morning and then hammer it at night. Uh, what what um, actually determines a red velvet cake? I just always had that character. I never, we never ate those growing up, but everybody seems to have that as their their favorite cake. What what makes it a red velvet cake? I mean, I, I've heard people put. Um, Mayonnaise in the cake. 
Well, there, there, yes. I, I believe that Hellman's started that. Uh, oh, marketing, great. Marketing trend, <laughs> you know, I don't know how many years ago, maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, and sort of the, oh, the mayonnaise chocolate cake. Yeah. I have never eaten one, and I've never made one. Um, as much as I adore mayonnaise in my egg salad, chicken salad, tuna <laughs> salad, um, I can't quite wrap my head around it in my chocolate cake. Um, but it makes sense because it's just emulsified, you know, eggs and oil. I guess, and, yeah, but it's just nickel and I, and I have a number of oil cakes. So. You do. I like your olive oil cake. Which one did I like? I can't remember. And yeah, that's a that's a really nice. But that's a really nice thing, yeah. I orange mean, and rosemary so strange. And, um, and olive oil. You also have an unorthodox um, approach to. You don't use melted chocolate. You use cocoa powder and chocolate. Cakes. Well, I both. Okay, so I have some cakes that use melted chocolate and some cakes that use cocoa powder. And uh, do you know which one you're talking about? No, um, there's so no. many. <laughs> there's so, I know there's so many, but I do I do like cocoa powder, and um, I think that uh, what what I did when I was creating the recipes for this. So, for example, um, this this is like you having my own personal recipe booklet. So, a lot of the recipes were inspired by friends and family recipes and, um, you know, because this is about celebration. And so, you know, friends and family pay, play a large part in this book. But my, uh, I wanted to do a chocolate, uh, something similar to a chocolate pound cake. And I'm a huge lover of bunt cakes. Which oh, I see that you have them all through your book. Pretty, I do. Very pretty. <laughs> do. Very nice I, to photograph. Thank you. I love, love, love them. And so um, my mother said to me, well, you need to try your Aunt Mary Ellen, we called her Aunt Mert, her chocolate pound cake. She was famous for her chocolate pound cake. So we found the recipe and we made it. And, you know, things are so, I mean, things are so filled with flavor. I mean, the world today is all about the flavor bombs, right? right? And so I was kind of disappointed in the cake because it um, was very light chocolate in color and it was just kind of bland Mm -hmm. and so I thought you know what I'm going to take the idea of my Aunt Mary Ellen's chocolate pound cake and I'm going to turn it into you know the biggest flavor bomb the most delicious chocolate bundt cake you can imagine and so I use um, I use cocoa powder lots of it in place um, about a half a cup of it in place of a half a cup of flour and then a regular so half a cup that, that you would have. So I use an entire cup of cocoa in it, and um, and normally the bundt cake would have three cups of flour. I use two and a half cups of flour and one whole cup of cocoa powder, and um, and then I use Guinness. And ah, the, there we the, go. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth, you are really a, a, an adventurous cook, I'll tell you. <laughs> and and I am. creative and groundbreaking. That's amazing. Well, thank you. That's a that's a real compliment. But you know what? I'm always looking, I'm chasing the the most balanced and most delicious flavor. And I don't believe in, you know, more is more. I actually believe in less is more. 
but there's a fine line before you become, you know, more is more, right? And so um, the, the the slight bitterness and and the yeastiness of the Guinness mixed with the cocoa powder um, just makes the most delicious chocolate cake, in my opinion. And that was inspired by my, you know, my aunt Mert, except. You know, her pale, pale, cafe au lait colored <laughs> cake is now almost coal black in color. Now, now, now here's, here's, here's a suggestion. I have the temerity to make a suggestion. Because, okay. Because I, I love Guinness. No, oh, no, good. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm even thinking of making that cake for I, him because he I, loves Guinness. I graduated from the University of Cambridge, and the guy next to me in line in front of the Chancellor of the University was named Guinness. <laughs> oh, how great! First, first name Dermot, and I was very impressed because his parents gave him a house <laughs> as a graduation gift. That that is impressive. But 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 there are two stouts that that I think it would be worth your while to try just to see if there's not just a little edge. They're both they're both made by a maker in England called Samuel Smiths, and one of them is called Oatmeal Stout. And the other's mm. called Imperial Stout. Well, I'm gonna. I'm writing this down. And I'd be, I'd be intrigued if if you if you if you found that in fact there was a little edge there. And if not, well, go, you know it, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I will totally try it, and um, and I'll let you. I will let you know. I will follow up. But since you since you are British, yes. Um, I have to tell you the first time that I made my uh, Guinness. Uh, bunt cake. I actually made the glaze with Irish whiskey. Yeah, oh, that's all right too. <laughs> that's all right too. Yeah, that's the campy. And I adored it. And I changed it to making the glaze with Guinness because I didn't want the um, the cook to have to buy Guinness if they didn't already have it in their oh, house, right, as well exactly. as as well as Irish whiskey if they didn't have it. But um, if you have some Irish whiskey at home. Try the glaze uh, with the Irish whiskey as well, because it just gives it a little bit of a different sort of sharp, you know, um, uh, sure, flavor yeah. uh, sure. that I really, really. I mean, the Guinness is super delicious. It just brings out the chocolate, but the Irish whiskey in it, um, I think, also just give, t- gives it a little bit more sophistication. We're going to try that rabbit, right? Yeah, we have to, we're going to try that. We could probably try. We could probably try with bourbon too. I shouldn't wonder. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, I mean bourbon. Party. Talk about a celebration. Just our right, cooking right. and dinner with. <laughs> yes, bourbon. You know, if you if you look through the book, you can you see I'm a whiskey girl, and bourbon is, you know, never far from my kitchen. Um, but I, you know, but I'm I'm really impressed with the whiskeys coming out of Ireland these days. They're really oh yeah, there's one delicious. We're trying to to get a hold of, but they're, they're such a limited quantity. Um, we're we're going to be in Ireland in a couple of weeks in Galway, and, and I think we'll search it out. So anyhow, I mean, this is a, you have so much information in here, and it's so and so creatively, but. Not, but absolutely sensibly presented, Elizabeth Carmel, um, steak and cake, and you'll find other things in this book, uh, listeners. Uh, uh, we never got a chance to talk about it, but I, I loved your salads, <laughs> your, your winter salads. Um, well, you you have to have a side, and so all of the steaks are paired with a side or a sauce, and 
and then I have a few other steakhouse salads right, yes. um, as well because I want I want this book to be the only place one stop celebration shopping. Okay, you know, the, well, that's what we're going to bill it as. Okay, uh, one celebration. <laughs> one stop celebration shopping. <laughs> one stop celebration shopping. Again, Steak and Cake by Elizabeth Carmel, and much success with your book, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to speak with you both. We had a good time. Thank you. Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Next up, we have a good friend, a long-time friend. And let me tell you, this is a good person to have as a friend. He's just, um, he's so multi-talented. Chris Venemore, who's written um, a book called Stopped, <laughs> the master of the, of the short title here. Uh, Stopped in, involves actually everything that stopped, and you'll, you'll get the gist of that when, when you listen to him talk. Um, he's been a long-term WQED public broadcasting station. Um, he did a long-time TV presenter with his own show, QED Cooks. And he plays the banjo. And he plays the banjo, and he does just about everything. As I said, he's like one of the best friends you can have. And um, uh, this book, by the way, uh, uh, it's, it's all a matter of in the family. Uh, Laura Petrilla, who is the photographer, did a great job of photographs of this book. And when I was the Russian critic at Pittsburgh Magazine, she used to shoot my meals too. Um, I always had one advice for the restaurateur about these photo shoot is feed the photographer. <laughs> They're all hang, hanging out there, anxious for the food. Well, anyhow, we're, we're wandering away mentally and and talking wise. Uh, so here we go back to Chris Fenimore and his latest book, and I can assure you, not the last. This one's called Stuffed. Chris Fenimore is a much loved, longtime chef at WQED in Pittsburgh, and um, I appreciate his friendship that we've had for how many years now? Very much. And uh, as a side benefit, we get to read his cookbooks. And he's, he's done a lot of them for, for QED, but his, you're now doing them on your own. And uh, we talked about the, the first one, and now you've come out with another one called Stuffed. The title tells everything about it. But it's subtitled Luscious Filled Treats from Savory to Sweet. And I thought the most amazing thing about it, Chris Dunmore, is that you dreamed the thing and wrote it almost in a matter of minutes. Well, yeah. I, I was uh, at the end of, um, of uh, you know, so putting the, the last book to bed, and we had a meeting, and the night before, I just I tossed and turned all night, and then uh, I woke up with this whole idea for a book in my head. <laughs> and, and the book was based on the fact that every culture does the same thing similar things with food, not all food, but, you know, we stuff one thing inside of another, whether it's uh, Italian raviolis or uh, Chinese dumplings or kreplak or 
And then I thought, it's not just dough that we stuff things in. We stuff things in bread. We stuff things into meats and into vegetables. And we stuff our desserts. <laughs> Who doesn't love a cannoli? <laughs> oh. and, and why do we love it? Because being stuffed means that we get uh, a variety of textures and flavors all combined. Uh, and also I think that cooking one thing inside of another uh, transforms those flavors in ways that they couldn't be uh, created without having them cook in one inside the other. Uh, so if you have a, 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 a stuffed cabbage roll, mm-hmm. it tastes different. The, the meat inside tastes different because it was cooked inside a cabbage leaf. Right. Yeah, so. The and the, and the rice. Leaves. I mean, that's the way my mother made it. She made it with uh, chopped meat and rice mm-hmm. and tomato sauce and... Uh, and then uh, she would stuff it inside uh, the cabbage leaves, and she would slow cook those babies until the rice was all cooked and the flavors were all meshed together, and, oh, boy, we love them. Well, I guess we all grew up with, with various stuff things. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. And, sure, no matter what nationality. Yeah, you and look I all over the globe. Some you... friends of mine to contribute recipes from their uh, culture and perspective, their family histories and whatnot. So, because samosas are delicious, but they were not part of my childhood. Right, but you uh, invited these people, and you have recipes in your book from yeah. people from the different cultures. Yeah, so I, they're authentic in their own way, and, you know, some of them were just fortuitous meetings. Uh, the wife of uh, a friend of mine, uh, he, he was a tuba player with me back in the uh, father's mustache era, and he was visiting with his wife, Luella. She's from the Philippines, uh-huh. and she was going, oh, you're working on a book called Stuffed. We make empanadas, but uh-huh. they're not Spanish empanadas. They're Philippine empanadas. And I said, what's the difference? She said, I'll send you the recipe. Uh-huh. And then she told this whole story about she and her sisters and her mother in, in the Philippines, and I thought... This has got to go in the book. Yeah. Now, don't, don't they have a thing things called lumpias or something lumpia. like that? The, the lumpia, yeah, they do, but they're different than uh, than, their, than the empanadas. Yeah, they, okay. All right. you know? yeah, the so lumpia is like, another one. We, didn't get, we certainly did not get to all the stuffed foods in the world. I, I, I <laughs> wish I could say we, this was comprehensive, but, uh, but we have uh, recipes from a variety of different co- uh, cultures and cultural traditions but n- n- no way do we have all of them. I, I could sit here off the top of my head and think of oh, another eighty recipes. Now, I mean, you you divide your book into chapters with the kind of yeah. describing what it is that's that's stuffed. <laughs> the first yeah. part is dough. The second part, veggies. Then you have bread and pastry for part three. Yeah. Then you have seafood and meats. Then you have sweets. And so you have quite a range of, of options in this book. Yeah, so that way you can go from everywhere from, you know, stuffed peppers to calzones and, uh, and yeah. sausage rolls. And I even have the, 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 the famous uh, uh, southwestern Pennsylvania, uh, West Virginia uh, pepperoni rolls. Oh, right. Um, I we all love them here in Pittsburgh, but... West Virginia lays claim to their origins, uh, you know, as a, a miner's treat. Um, right. Well, of course, the, you do pasties, and of course, that's what those were for, the hand pies, the pasties. It, oh, yeah. 
yeah. And, you know, I, I got a taste for pasties when um, Laura and I uh, would go up to Niagara-on-the-Lake uh, for the Shaw Festival, and uh, the, um, the, the bakeries up there all sell pasties and meat pies. Uh-huh. So I thought, ooh, i got to learn how to do that. And I did learn how to make them. I love to make them. You know, um, I, I've always, we've always had stuffed vegetables. I mean, your background and mine are the same with the Sicilian, you know, Sicilian mother. But I, I had one problem all the time, is I would start out with, say, like, I'm going to do stuffed eggplants. And right. so you cut the eggplant and you scoop out the inside and you mix up that with the, with some breadcrumbs and onion and garlic or whatever. And, and you end up with some leftover, so you think, all right, I'm going to move on, and I'm going to stuff zucchinis. And then you do that, and you end up with, like, twice as much. <laughs> so then you think, well, let's go to mushrooms. <laughs> How do you avoid that? Well, you know, it's really hard to judge the amount. I have little packets of filling, various fillings in my freezer that I... I wish I were better at labeling them. So sometimes I surprise myself. I, it, it's a package that says filling, you know, and I'll stuff it inside of a, uh, of an acorn squash or something. But uh, it all turns out good. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you, could, you could use a stuffing that you usually use for eggplant and put it inside a, uh, uh, a uh, an acorn squash, and it still comes delicious. Tell us about this stuffed wonder from um, Big Night. Oh, the uh, yeah! This is the supreme stuffed uh, recipe to me because that that movie, The Big Night, was just fascinating to me. The brothers who own a restaurant in New Jersey and they think Louis Prima is going to come for dinner, and that his <laughs> his appearance there is going to save their restaurant. So they they go all out, and uh, in their mind, going all out is one of the dishes that they're going to serve is a timpano, Mm -hmm. which means a drum. And there's as many different versions of timpani as there are of raviolis, uh, uh, actually, because what it means is that you put a dough, some sort of dough, in a bowl, and then you fill that bowl with layers of things, whether it's um, macaroni and meatballs. Uh, I did mine with three different fillings. One was macaroni and meatballs with a, a red tomato sauce. The other one was a uh, risotto, uh, a, a nice cheese risotto with uh, hard-boiled eggs. And the third one was a basil uh, a pesto pasta. So I had the red, white, and green of the Italian oh, inside. And um, that's what I'm holding up on the back of the, of the book. If you, yeah, I see uh, it. <laughs> so, beautiful. And then I used uncut ziti as the macaroni so that when you cut across it, all you see are the, are the openings. You don't see the sides of macaroni. Oh, it's very uh, So it's all a little trick. But it makes a, a, a fun thing to present uh, for a party or uh, for a dinner or whatever. And uh, but what's the it's rest pretty of filling, this? but it's fun. And it's not really hard. It's just a, a matter of being patient because once you fill that dough and bake it, um, then you have to uh, let it to, uh, bake slowly and then take it out and let it cool slowly and so that when you cut it, it, it holds up and doesn't just fall right, apart. Exactly. Now, what's the rest of the story about the restaurant? The, the rest <laughs> of the story is that I was at that. I, I, I woke up in the morning, I had this idea, uh, it all came over me, and so I wrote it all down. 
And I was going to a meeting at St. Lynn's Press, and I, I, I put this, these few pages of the idea for the book in a folder, and I also made a batch of calzones. And so I'm going to the meeting. We have our little meeting, our little wrap-up session for uh, the uh, Simple Pleasures cookbook. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Paul Kelly, the, who is the, uh, the head of St. Lynn's Press, says, What's in the envelope? <laughs> I said, well, you, you can take a look or, or skip it. doesn't really matter. And he opened it up. He's munching on a calzone, and he looks at this thing, reads through this uh, synopsis, and he goes, it's our next book. We're going to do this. <laughs> so, and it was all laid out there. I had the chapters. I had uh, about amazing. half the recipes already laid out, what was going to be included in each chapter and, and the introduction. And so that was, it, it really came to me all at once. Well, you've like been doing this for a long time, Chris. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I, I hate to think of how long I've been doing uh, cookbooks now. Uh, we started in 1993 with all of the recipes that people sent to us for zucchinis uh, for our first show, Zucchini Cheesecake, we called it, uh, back in 1993. Right. And, um, and since then, we've done, well, I don't know, maybe 120 of those cooking marathons, all with their own cookbook. Uh, and uh, But they're not all my recipes. They, these are truly community recipe cookbooks. Um, and the nice thing about these that I've done for St. Lynn's Press is that I have a chance to tell a little bit more of my own personal story. Usually on a show that we do for WQED, I'll do one or two of my own recipes and include them in the book. But here I, I can do a majority of my own things. Well, you know, I, I think that the distinguishing thing about this is not only that the recipes are delicious and it gives you this global perspective, but you have the wonderful stories that go with each of the recipes and um it tells a lot about you and your background i particularly like the the little story that went with the spiadini (laughs) oh yeah you know tell us that one well i you know i have to remember which one i have here in the book but you know the spiadini was was one that uh my grandfather grandfather actually it's my uh giovanni bacchi he was my grandmother's father. He's the one who actually came from Palermo. Okay, he and, was great um, grandfather. Yeah, he was my great grandfather, and uh, so this was a recipe that he made that we all loved. But <laughs> what I loved was that he he used to make it on an old uh, bucket that had a hole in it, and he would so rather than throw it away, he turned it over and made it into. Uh, like a hibachi grill. We used to joke about it later when hibachis became really famous. We said he made the bachi grill. That was his name, bachi. Uh, uh, Giovanni bachi. Kisses. So, uh, Giovanni and kisses. he would just lay the little skewers of rolled up meat. Uh, and he used to use veal. But uh, I switched to uh, to beef. It's a less expensive and... And I like the flavor of the beef as well, but the hard thing is to get it sliced. I went out and bought myself a slicing machine just to make spadini. I'll be so you uh, and and as the directions here uh, have it, you have to um, freeze the eye round. Uh, I use eye round of beef, and then you allow it to thaw slightly. Put it on the slicer, and you can get the slices nice, really thin, 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 thin. That way, it cooks in about two minutes on a side on the uh, on the grill. I don't use a galvanized bucket anymore. I actually use a <laughs> gas grill. 
but but they they once you have them uh they they stay with you the memory of the the combination of flavors the mozzarella soft and and bubbly on the inside and the tomatoes and the flavored breadcrumbs with lemon mm, that's what really you know it, it, it's just a unique combination of flavors. It's not like anything that you've had before. It's not like a meatball. It's not like a steak. It's not like anything. It's it's a spadini. And and uh, porchetta is is in that category too. I mean, there's nothing. All the all the, all the parts that go into a porchetta um, are sublimated in the final product. Yeah, you, you know, and and you know, I go to visit my daughter in Rome. Every I never year. knew what what she. Why is she in Rome? She's well. Her husband is an architect, and he won the Rome Prize. And they stayed there for a year at the American Academy, and they loved it so much. They said, "Why would we go back?" So she got a job teaching at the Ambridge School. She's an art teacher, and he teaches uh, college students from the United States who want to study architecture and archaeology and history and art. And so he just gives classes there. so it's a and good thing for you. Little boys who who are real Roman guys, oh, okay. <laughs> and I still go and visit them. But when you walk down the street, the way that we have like uh, little uh, uh, fast food places, they have porchetta shops. They have a porchetta in the window that they and they just slice off pieces of this delicious meat and. And if you want, they'll put a little bit of that skin crust on, on, on your sandwich, and they just make you a porchetta sandwich. And people are walking around the streets with uh, little flatbreads and, and porchetta meat on the inside. It's we've, delicious. We've been, we've been known to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell the story about what, uh, Good what, Friday. Know, one, one time we were, in, we were in Tuscany. I can't remember the name of the town we were staying in. And uh, we were, talk, we're walking through the town, on, on Good Friday. You know, they do that, the um, stations, the cross, and through the whole village. You know so, that. So, so, we, did, yeah. so yeah. we we joined the back end of the line, but we saw this whole pocketta in the in the butcher's shop. And, uh, but it was we, Friday. We noted it. Well, that was Friday. Then <laughs> when, 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 Sunday, when Sunday came around, we walked by the same butcher shop. We, f- we figured we'd see what, whether there was any left. There was not. <laughs> it was no, I know. They, it was, they, they eat that stuff up. They love it. I do too. It was, oh, you know, I, love I, it too. I think the nose was left, but that was it. <laughs> in, in less than 48 hours. <laughs> let's, let's look at your sweets because they, they are so beautiful looking. Um, the, of course, the ultimate is the cannoli, right? Right, and uh, that's that's what opens up the. I also wanted to mention, you know, since we were talking about Marianne, all of the drawings in here, Marianne did. Really? She, uh, you know, she studied uh, art. She went to uh, to Carnegie Mellon and studied art as a kid, and then she went to the Rhode Island School of Design. Oh, really? And uh, so I asked her if she would do all of the the little illustrations in here. So at the beginning of the sweet section, she has a drawing of stuffed strawberries, yes. and then that uh, that is the one that is the sort of the theme for that section. Okay. The cream puffs are my are my mom's. She used to make the Sfingi de San Giuseppe on on um, March the seventh, March the nineteenth, my which is St. Joseph's Day, and my father's uh, name day. I um, see. Oh, and wonderful. then we have the cannoli, which you know we used to fight over on Sundays. 
My mom would make them once in a while, but they, it, we had so many wonderful bakeries in Brooklyn that it didn't pay to make them yourself. Mm-hmm. You could just go and get them. They were delicious. Yeah, I mean, I have those tubes, but I've never used them <laughs> you know, for, for yeah. shaping. They could only, because, I mean, of course, in Philadelphia, we just went to South Philly and, and got them. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the way to do it. My, my aunt, uh, Amelia, used to come for dinner every Sunday, and she would stop at... Uh, at one of the uh, pasticcherias on her way, and and just bring us a box of uh, of cannolis and pignoli cookies and other little treats. I I, I also had to put in lady locks. Because I'm just looking at them. I mean, this bright, this brings back so many memories to me. These lady locks, and I've not had any for years. Yeah, um, and then the uh, punchki, uh, which I keep pronoun- mispronouncing. I I I thought it was pachki. That's but what it's I thought. Punchki. Oh, uh, which are the uh, Polish donuts. Yeah, I've never had and they're, one of those. They're amazingly easy to make. But the problem is then you eat like a dozen donuts. <laughs> 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 so you better have friends coming over when you make them. Uh-huh. My mom made these Vienna tarts. Those were little filled cookies. She was very proud of those. Apple dumplings is a western Pennsylvania kind of thing. The plum crostada. Oh, um, that looks great, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, they have... Different crostatas in the bakeries in Rome uh, laid out every single day, and it's always with some fresh fruit, whatever happens to be fresh at that time, whether they're berries or plums or peaches or pears, and you can make a crostata out of anything. Hmm. The, the Nutella crepes is just a, a, a tip of the hat to uh, uh, trips that I've had to Paris where these are made on every street corner. Uh, you know, there's a little opening in the window, and you just have a Nutella uh, sort of sandwich uh, on the on these crepes. Um, I put in hand pies um, because uh, uh, they're just delicious and they're great. Kids love these as a snack. Yes, and I used to. Big, I used to uh, travel with nut rolls. I mean, they're exactly my kind of sweet, not too sweet. Yeah, but, but uh, they have to be really good. Um, then I had some fun making uh, my own version of Hostess, Hostess Cupcakes. <laughs> oh, is that what that is? I didn't know what that was. Yeah, cream-filled chocolate cupcakes. Right. Of course, you're you're in my favorite. The Cucidati are in the in this in this yes, section. Yes, and I'm expecting some of those if you make them. Are, are filled with uh, figs and dates and raisins and orange and it's just all kinds of of uh, uh, sweet things. Not that sweet. I mean, we add sugar to it, too, but then you flavor it with um, honey and hazelnuts and cinnamon, and we put in a little liqueur. You were saying you put in... Port, um, a whole bottle of port. <laughs> a, a bottle of port wine. <laughs> well, you were making, maybe you were making more than I was here. Well, that's it, yeah. uh, uh, this, makes, uh, this recipe makes about six dozen. Um, uh-huh. so it, makes, it makes quite a few. Well, I and, could, and, and actually, I got to tell you, one of my favorite things is uh, right at the end there, the stuffed strawberries. Yeah, I've never. Um, I, I really, that I couldn't even imagine stuffing strawberries. <laughs> well, no, it's it's not that hard because um, uh, you 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 just scoop out the the top center, which is usually white and inedible anyway, yeah. and you cut the bottoms off so that they stand up straight. And then I top them sometimes with the bottoms of the strawberries, sometimes with blueberries, and sometimes with um, some graham cracker crumbs. And it, it tastes like cheesecake. Oh. 
Interesting. And I just put the filling in a piping bag and just squirt, squirt, squirt. And they, they, they come out looking really fancy and beautiful. Well, it's a very impressive uh, little presentation. I'm sure it is. I mean, and I, people who think they're on a diet are, uh, you know, they, they, they think they're getting away with something. Of course, it, it's filled with cream cheese and confectioner <laughs> sugar. <laughs> so there's nothing diet about it. No. But, yeah. so, Chris, uh, you're multi-talented. You're still playing banjo, I'm assuming. Yes, I am. And, I still uh, play with both Dixie Dock and the Pittsburgh Dixie and All-Stars, and I play uh, with the Pittsburgh Banjo Club up at the Elks yeah, that's on a, some Wednesdays. They're there every club. Wednesday, but I don't get there every Wednesday. Well, again, another success. Um, listeners stuffed. You'll find yes. something in here that you're going to love. And and you can trust these recipes because uh, Chris Federmore has done this for a long time and he knows exactly what he's doing and probably the most direct way and simple way to do it. So, Chris, again, much success with this book. Thank you, Anne. I appreciate that. Yeah, love it's talking great. to you. Well, great to talk to you. Okay, Chris, thank you. Bye. Okay, bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Wrapping up this show, um, our next guest, I'm not even sure how I discovered Michelle Goldberg and her Michelle Max, Michelle's Max. Um, I mean, I don't go around looking for candy. Anybody who regularly listens to this show knows that I'm not a, a candy freak, um, nor even have a sweet tooth. But this product is really special. And I also, she's gutsy, and she's a smart businesswoman, and I'm, I'm just wishing her every success in the world. And looks like and, that's uh, and, and they're called, the subject of the interview is called Michelle's Max. Max. Short for macaroons. Sure, sort of. <laughs> yes, we're talking to Michelle Goldberg, and when she and I met through email, I think we were confused with each other, but we're getting the story straight now, and we love her product, which is called Max, spelled M-A-C-C-S, which is a variation on macaroons, right, Michelle? Yes, pretty much. I reimagined the coconut macaroon. Now um, they're essentially coconut and chocolate, and I have them in 12 flavors. And they're gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how long it took us to go through them, but we went through them right away. Not, not <laughs> very long. A long time. <laughs> not, 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 not very long at all. <laughs> we said, so, but, we said why, why aren't there any more? <laughs> Guess who ate most of them? Not me. <laughs> It's really funny. It's really funny. I know. I heard. I, I always hear that they're addictive, and then you can't fault me if you eat them all at one time. No, no I, I, grew, I grew up in England with with a chocolate bar that was coconut inside and chocolate on the outside, and I can't remember what they were called. It was sort of. Oh, like that a, would be wonderful to know. I have no idea because whenever I've been to Europe, I always say I would love to get the Max to Europe because I've never seen anything like them there. Although there, there really is nothing like them here. No, um, they're not. No, I mean, they're unique. Well, the other thing, um, the yeah, other, they're they're very unique. we get tons of chocolate. The other, the, the other thing you have to remember, and you wouldn't necessarily make this connection, but I, I used to buy these 
cookies with my sugar allowance during rationing after World War Two, so so it's quite possible they don't make them anymore. <laughs> no, cooking thing. Uh, you're not talking about Mars bars, are you? No, no, no. no, no. Almond Joy has almonds in it. No, I like these. I, I like these chocolates, and they were, and they were covered yeah. with they were covered with dark right, chocolate. Right. So you said like uh, Almond Joy. They're. Um, I say I, I reimagined the macaroon. We don't really call them macaroons. We just right. say that it's chocolate plus coconut plus love yes. because um, it is my love and uh, my most favorite thing to do after raising. Four kids who are grown now. Oh, yeah, you and, said um, that. I was but there's amazed. nothing in them like a macaroon because there's no eggs, flour, or almond paste. Right. And I figured out a making, I say a making and baking process that's very unique to the Max because there is no, there are no binders or fillers and it's just coconut and like the orange zest Mac is orange zest and orange juice, coconut, chocolate, and um, it takes uh, three, four days actually to make a Mac before we bake it. Now, and, uh, I don't know how you bake it is what I was trying to figure out. How do you bake it? Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you get, you got the crunchy on the outside, moist on the inside, Anne? Yes. So um, well, hold, hold, um, hold. I, I can't tell you how I make and bake them because then I'd be giving away my secrets, exactly. right? Okay, I don't right. want to ask. Well, well, hold, hold on a second. Let, let's go back to something that you said before we came on the air because Mac Max were Max were made and then all, and then all of a sudden you didn't make them anymore, and now you, just recently you've revived them. What what did people do when they didn't have Max? Did they, did they I, pick at your house? Pe- well, people called. Um, and um, it was sad that I, I wasn't baking at the time. I um, I sold the Max under the name of a different company, and I was in business with one of my best friends, and she has three young children, and it was too much for her to run the business and also raise her kids, uh, and so she had to back out. And then I ended up launching Michelle's Max, and that's why we sent out the email, and I got back in touch with Anne, I think, I don't remember where we met, and we did meet somewhere that I had your contact, and um, uh, you replied back, what did they do? They were sad. Well, you know, I mean, the, the thing that's so amazing about them, Michelle, is besides wondering how, you, how the hell you made them, <laughs> is that they taste so clean, so that you yeah, don't really well, feel like you're naughty eating them. Right. Well, that's because that's what they are. We use them. Um, it took a long, long time to pick the chocolates that we used so that they blended well with the flavors and they didn't overpower the flavors. Um, I guess it. I may. I guess it took about a year to develop the twelve flavors. It took me almost a year to perfect the caramel that's in the salted caramel. And I'm also my worst critic. And um, I never. I never really thought they were as fabulous as they have become now. Well, have you always been a baker? I mean, I think it's amazing you had four kids. Oh, thank you. They're older now. Uh-huh. There's still a lot of work, but they, but they're older. Uh-huh. But still, I mean, did you bake always, forever? Is that what you? Yeah, I know you love I, it. I, I've been a, I've been in the food business now for fifteen years, and um, I was a Jewish mom, or I am a Jewish mom for thirty-two years. Uh-huh. Um, I also was a catering supervisor at Dean and Deluca. I'm oh, a certified yeah, poor Dean and Deluca. Now. Huh? Yeah, they close. Yeah, I've never, never in my life would I envision a life without Dean and Deluca. (laughs) (laughs) They've been around for a long time. Before that, before all of that, I was in the insurance business, and then I stopped. That's getting dull. And I became a foodie, and everybody, my friends and family, always wanted 
the Macs on holidays, and my friends made me bake them all year long, and everybody said, you got to go into business, you got to go into business, and finally I listened to them, and I packed the back of uh, my best girlfriend's yellow convertible, and she owned a bagel shop in East Hampton, and <laughs> off we went with the ingredients, and that was um, how I got going. And Dean and, De- Dean and DeLuca never picked them up, so that's why they're going out of business. <laughs> yes, exactly, Peter. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad you love them so much and that you've noticed their uniqueness and the clean taste because that's my goal is, you is did to be able to share that with people that you can have. I, I use the phrase K-I-S-S, keep it simply sweet. Oh, very good. Because um, that's what they are. They're, they're a simply sweet but decadent and delicious treat. You should take some down to Al Roker. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you, could, you, you, you could become a, an overnight sensation. Yeah. I hope so. If anybody knows how to get in touch with him so I could send him some, let me know. Seven, seven o'clock in the morning, right next to Dean and DeLuca. On, <laughs> right, on, right there. On 49th Street. <laughs> Deliver it. Peter, I'd love it if you could try to remember what those, those treats were called that you said were in England. I, I will. I'll, I'll ask my sister. She oh, yeah. Ask, my, we're just about to see. His sister still lives in Yorkshire. We'll ask her. Yes. That would be very interesting. We'll see you next week. Yeah, good. That would be very interesting, So, yeah. um, Michelle, do you do all of your own marketing and everything yourself, too? I don't. I, I definitely have a team behind me. Um, one thing I'm really lucky uh, with and um, I love is my son. One of my sons graduated from FIT oh, and yeah. with a, um advertising marketing degree, and he's also a, he became a photographer, a food photographer. Oh, nice. And he's the one who takes the photos. Um, so it's helping him along his career, but it's helping me tremendously because he's very talented. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a chief marketing officer and graphic designer and web developer and uh, bakery staff, and there's a whole bunch of us behind the Max, and we all love them and work really hard. We really would love everybody to try one. <laughs> yeah, right. <That's laughs> because I think impossible. if you try just one, then, yeah. then you see what what you guys are talking about. No, there's there's no such thing as eating only one. Yeah. Now the quest, quest, oh, important question. That's what is, I've heard. Question is where do people? I, I where do, do people, have one do though. I do them? that. I keep them in the freezer because uh-huh. they're really good out of the freezer, and I let them thaw a little bit. And um, I I have one. That's my my nighttime snack. Good. Uh, maybe good. on the weekends I have two. Now what what what? Where can people buy some? Um, on my website. Okay. It's uh, michellesmax.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-S-M-A-C-C-S.com. And if they sign up for our newsletter, we always have all kinds of promotions and uh, follow us on Instagram. We don't really have our social media going in a big way yet, but we do have an Instagram and a Facebook page. Same thing, oh, Michelle's Max. And here's a product that's not available on Amazon. And it will be soon will be to be available on Amazon. We, um, we're really conscious about our carbon footprint and packaging, but so on the website we do a very simple but elegant package, and Amazon we have to do packaging according to food safety guidelines. So oh. I'm almost done, and then they'll be, um, and then they'll be available on Amazon. Yeah, your packaging I wanted to mention is, is, uh, is really gorgeous. It's, everything looks top notch and wonderful. And oh, the, thank you, Anne. You congratulate thank your you. son on his photography. I mean, there's some mouth-watering the photos. I mean, it's amazing. He's good. Yes. Yeah, he is. Good. Yes, he 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 is good. I'm um, I'm very lucky. Well, I'm I'm glad that we met wherever we we met, 
And, I think um, it was the fancy food show. Probably, probably was. Probably. Yeah, I think um, it was. Uh, well, in well, was it? Wait, well, actually, in 2017, we were New York City's best sweet treat. So that's a good point. That could be. And then at the fancy food show, we were the number one at new brands on the shelf. Okay. So yeah. you probably, I think that was last year, and um, not this past, and I think that's where we met. Okay, well, it's a good place to start. I mean, I always recommend that, now that they've come down in price for the new products. What, the Fancy Japanese. Food Show? Yeah, it's a good place yeah. to start. It's well, fun. I, I mean, I can't just uh, wish you more success, but I will, because... Uh, Thank you. Yeah, because I was really thrilled. <laughs> Yeah. Yay! I, I I really am. I'm I'm very impressed and awed that you noticed all the important things about the Max that I want to be important and that stand out. Well, you're you're very yeah. thoughtful and very eloquent as well, and and you you do a good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Anne. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, Peter. Thank you also. Thanks for your patience. Oh, sweetheart, that was a quick. That was a quick program, huh? <laughs> it's a good program. Yeah, well, we good we, interviews, good products, good people, good books. What's what could all, be wrong all, with that? All, all of the above, right? So yeah. we so we hope you'll join us again, same time, same place, with more of the same. And until then, bye bye.